0: Uh, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Morning. How much coffee have you had so far? A lot. What guys like? Yeah, man, lots. That's how. That's how much coffee I've had. Uh, I had the room coffee at first today. There's a little thing in our room, and then I was like, oh no, nope, that's not gonna work. So, got some of the better stuff in there. Well, I'm really glad. Uh, thanks for being here in the seminar, someone. I think Tim was saying this is the seminar for people who did not want to walk to the other one. So, congratulations. Wise men, I see we have in here. Maybe you can teach me about something. Uh, my name is Brandon. Uh, we're going to do a seminar called The Story We Tell and just kind of helping us have a gospel lens just in our life experience. Um, this is something that um, I, I actually am like coming to submit this to you as something I'm in the process of learning. Um, so I come with that. Like, I'm in the process, this has been a process for me over the past like three or four years of. Um, just a way to see the gospel events that happen in Jesus' life. Um, in Romans, Paul says, like, we've been, in our baptism, we've actually been crucified and put to death with Christ and been raised, like, in his life. Um, and so as we, as, as new creations, spirit-filled believers, we actually partic- We participate in Christ's death. What does that mean? We participate in his resurrected life. What does that mean? So kind of exploring that today. Um, it's not going to be too long. If you need to take a nap, go for it. There's no judgment here. Um, but this guy's had this much coffee, so he's, you're good. Um, just a little bit about me. My name's Brandon. Um, I, what was that? Oh, thanks, man. Hi. My, my name is Brandon. Uh, my, my family's actually up here with me this weekend. Um, I did uh, the pastor's retreat, a few weeks led worship for that, And they were supposed to come to that. A lot of them got sick. So I got to to bring them up here. And I'm like, it's a men's conference. Are you okay with that? And they were like, we don't care. We're in. So be kind to them. I know you will. Um, So uh, yeah, just a little bit about me. I've been married to my wife, Liz, for 16 years now. We have three kids. Barrett is my 12-year-old. So we just hit that stage. Um, Entering into, like, this is the last one before the teenage years. Um, Someone told me once they're called the golden years, right? Where they think... Like My wife actually gets to breathe a little bit because we have a 12-year-old, 10, and 8. Um, so no more diapers. They can dress themselves, feed themselves. It's amazing. Uh, so, but they still love us, and it's not teenage years yet where that's where like, the real conversations happen. We think our problems are bad now. Um, but no, they're really good kids. Um, I'm a, a pastor of a small little church in Bakersfield that we planted uh, almost three years ago. Um, so we are a, a network of house churches that meet um, in, in homes throughout the city and then gather all together on one Sunday of the month. Um, and so pastor like a couple of house churches in that kind of community. So um, and then lead worship as well. And, and uh, I've been following Jesus. Um, I, my story in following Jesus, um, some of you probably in here can tell me like this moment you've had where it was I once was this and now I'm this. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And so it's really complicated for me of like when when did I start following Jesus and there was almost there's no there wasn't a time I wasn't um there was a time I had to make it my own, of course, but um, that was just in my journey it's been this like follow like when did I say yes to Jesus and I would always say like, "Which time do you want me to tell you about like it's over and over and so I'm a follower of Jesus um Uh, A husband, a pastor, um, and so just excited to be up here with you guys and to worship and to eat some really good food like steak and sausage on the same night. You can't, my kids were like, what is this? I'm like, this is a men's retreat, kids. This is what this is. This ain't no camp food. All right, so uh, let's start off this way, a little interactive today. Um, I want to show you uh, just, I'm going to show you a video um, and a little bit of heads up. It's kind of just set our mindset for today. This video was made in 1944, um, so 1944, it's old. There's no audio, okay, so don't think there's something wrong. There's no audio. I want you to watch, it's one minute long, watch this video. Um, you're gonna be like, what are we watching? I know that's gonna happen. And then, but we're gonna talk about it afterwards. Uh, and I want you just to like, use your imaginations, watch what's happening um, in this video that's just a, a clip from 1944, little animation. Let's see. there goes, Joey, a little delayed. All right, riveting, isn't it? All right, let's have some interaction. Um, just uh, my question for you is, as you watch that video, what was your interpretation of what's happening? Wait, what was that? What was, that? What was this? The bu- the guy with the bull, no, it's like a, a bully, right? So there's like something was bullying has happened. Okay, a family. Okay, he's saying like a dad taking over the whole house, picking on the the mom and the son or the yeah. What else? Did anybody see anything else? Okay. How, how like, in, believers try to interact and interact with non-believers. What else? Ooh, de- domestic violence. You saw something like that. Interesting. Okay. What else? Ah, okay. Yes. Okay. Anything else? Anybody see something radically different? You're like, I saw this. Uh, how about you? What's your name? Chris. Okay. Maybe two more. What What about you, sir? i bet if we went in here we would all have like oh i saw something like this i saw something like this can i i'm gonna tell you what the video is really about you ready for this the video was made with random triangles and circles and squares by psychologists that just put random things together and went oh now it's gonna do this and now it's gonna do this and now it's gonna do this there was no story to it but what did we all intrinsically do when we started watching this video yeah, we went, there has to be meaning to this. There has to be story to it. Why did we all do that intrinsically? Maybe there's one or two of us in here that were like, lines and shapes, and you are, God bless you, sir. Like, <laughs> you need some imagination, all right? <laughs> there's some people, a friend of mine's like that. He's like, nah, just lines and shapes. But as we watched it, here's, um, we intrinsically, we... Um, intrinsically told a story in our mind, didn't we? We are story creatures. God has designed us to be storytellers, meaning makers. All of humanity. This is how we've always been. We tell stories. Have you ever like known somebody that's just an amazing storyteller? You said that they just capture a room. They capture our attention. We are story creatures, intrinsically built and designed into us. Just for an example of this. Um, see if this works. No, that was the same video. This is a text I got from my friend uh, last week. It says, hey, can we grab coffee? I'd like to talk. I'm free Friday. How do you think I responded to that text? If you're like me, I was like, uh, what's this about, right? And um, if you've ever got a text like that from my very ambiguous friend, um, I thought instantly, I'm like, what does he want to talk about? This is a really strong, this feels like a, I read it. It's a text message. I'm like, this is a strong text. You're just like telling me you just want to meet on Friday? Maybe I'm not available, man. Like, like what's going on? What's he want to talk about? Um, I get this text from my very ambiguous friend, and unbeknownst to him, that simple question of just like, hey, I'd like to meet. Can we meet this Friday? Recalled in my mind all those times that I've had coffee with somebody before from a really vague text. And it was like, hey, you really hurt me when you said this. It's like, ah. So I, I start thinking about what did I say to my friend? Um, I start thinking about recalling our conversations or our last interactions. I'm like, I can't find anything. There's got to be something. I never ask him, what do you want to meet about? I just do this in my mind, right? Not just me? Okay. Um, So we meet, and guess what? He talks about, hey, I just have a question about this. Nothing serious. Nothing daunting. This is just how he communicates. But what did I intrinsically do? Um, I told a story about this. I told a story about what my friend had to say. Uh, Joey, can we go to the next slide? I don't think this thing's working. Yeah, you can help me at that. Um, we met in a coffee shop, and it was fine. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we all do this in our lives all the time. We tell stories um, as our interactions with our coworkers and how we communicate, with our spouses, with our kids, with the stories of even our lives. We do this all the time. We are story-making creatures. We're meaning makers. And so it's be- it's important for us, and what I want to talk about today is the like the main story that we immerse ourselves in, or we tell. I love that when God gives us His Word, in His like in His providence and His goodness, He doesn't just give us like a list of doctrines, even though those are important, right? He doesn't just give us um, in His Word uh, like a, a a clear like spell even like a like like a spell it. This is exactly what it's like. Instead, what does He give us? He gives us a story, doesn't He? The story of um, redemption from the fall in the garden, from, the, from creation to the fall, to, to calling Israel to be a blessing, to ultimately the Gospels. What are the Gospels about Jesus? They are stories, the truest of stories, about the person of Jesus Christ. We are shaped, no matter how we want to, like that video shows us, we are shaped by the stories we tell. Like, I think if we actually had some time together, even as we watched that, that little video, I bet you we can almost find experiences in our own life that we've had that we actually, like, we're like, ah, this is what I see. Because we pull those from our own experiences. And so, our, like, just for today, I just want to have a conversation um, about the goal for today's seminar just to help us to have an actual, like, a gospel lens and how we view the experiences of our lives. In particular, how we view those moments in our life that are suffering and feel like deaths and feel like losses and how we look at Jesus's life and his suffering and his death and his resurrection and his ascension as a way for us to like make sense of the things that we go through in our lives to make sense of um, the loss and the suffering in our lives and at the end of today we're just going to kind of do like a guided on like a prayer practice if we can do that would you guys be up for that today is that okay okay can we pray first and then we'll get going Jesus I just thank you for a good morning um up at Hume I like to to look over the lake again with warm coffee in our hands and just to um for me just to be blown away by your beauty again and again Holy Spirit I just pray that you would meet us in this time this morning that you would as we as we even just look at the story of of the gospel again we look at the life of Jesus we look at um in particular his passion his death his resurrection um, God, would you just as like the writers in the New Testament are always encouraging their their churches, um, would you just remind us to persevere in hope? Um, not like a cheap hope, not a I hope it gets better, but like a deep hope anchored in the resurrection. Um, but God, you will make all things new again. Would you grow our trust in you this morning, Jesus? We love and we pray. Amen. Uh, If you have your Bibles, our anchor verse is going to be in 1 Peter 2.20. This is the verse I really want to talk about today. Um, Not a whole lot other than this verse. If you have it, 1 Peter 2.20 to 22. Um, If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screens as well. I'll give you some time to get there. still hear pages going. I don't want to rush you. 1 Peter two twenty. It says this, verse 20, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Does that make sense to you? Like, he's writing to a church, and we'll talk about the context in a little bit. But he's writing to a church, going like, "Hey, if, if you get consequences for doing something bad, like, what 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 credit is that to you? But if you suffer for doing the right thing, doing good, and you and you endure that suffering, this is commendable for God." Verse twenty-one: "To this you were called. What are we called to? To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example." that you should follow in his steps. That you should follow. Just look at that verse 21 again. To this you were called, if you take away um, that part that's in parentheses, or after the comma, to this you were called that you should follow in his steps. Peter says, because Christ suffered, leaving you an example. Peter, in his letter, is writing to the scattered church that is experiencing suffering for their faith in Jesus. This letter is to encourage them to preserve in the faith, and Peter reminds their believers that they are they are called, just like he would like he's, he's, the spirits saying to us as we read today that we are called, as men who follow Jesus to follow in His footsteps. To follow in His footsteps, even in His sufferings. In fact, I love what Peter says here. He says, "Christ's sufferings have been left for us. Why?" Why have they been left for us? What does he say? They are an example for us. They are an example for us. What's an example? Um, example is a, like a prototype of something, right? Have you ever, like, you've set up something. Maybe some of you guys, like, run a business. You've set something up. You've done it the first time, and then you say, do it like this, right? Here's the example. Here's the prototype. Here's what I want. Do it this way, right? That's what an example is. I, I see this most clearly with me and my, my spouse, my wife, Liz, um, we And when whenever she goes away for something and she comes back, she really likes the house clean, right? But she, but we have two different cleans in our house. Um, we call it Brandon clean and Liz clean, right? That's what she just has that. This is what I want. And so if it's a busy week and, like, they, she, she's coming back from something and she's working, and she'll come in and or she'll be like, hey, can you make sure the house is clean when I get home? And if I'm busy, be like, Brandon clean or Liz clean? She'll go Liz clean. I've left you an example, Brandon. I say, okay, I know what that means. I mean, if I have have dishes in the sink, I have not done a good job. Does that make sense? Like, she gave me an example. I know what that is. In the same way, Peter is saying here that Jesus' humanity, his human life, fully God, fully human, right? His humanity, his sufferings, that they've been left for us as we follow in his steps as an example. They are our example and a pattern of how we're to live our lives, or even how we're supposed to interpret or tell the story of, of our life's meaning. Um, in 2020, I'm sure if we all sat down again for coffee with all of us, we can all recount uh, the 2020, like the pandemic and the shutdown, all that kind of stuff, and just be like, oh yeah, here's my crazy story, right? And here's, here's my journey with that, and here's what happened in our life. Um, we just all kind of collectively walked through um, this, this really like, chaotic moment. Um, the world did, and I, and I can understand we all have stories where we could share those. Mine was, that was actually the season uh, we let the church that we were planting from in on the journey of us planting a church um, about like three weeks before COVID hit. And so that was perfect timing, right? How not to plant a church is what we want to write a book on one day. Um, but we brought our leadership team. They were super supportive. They supported us in that. Um, but that season of COVID actually was a giant transition for us. We were we were leaving a community that we knew, a life we knew, a, um, a church we knew really well. And we were stepping to a preparation se- season of planting. And it was this deep season of transitioning in a period where it just felt like, man, almost 10 years of our life has just transitioned this way. And we actually, we don't feel like we even know, like, who we are anymore in some ways. Like, our, this community, we've said goodbye to this community. We've yet to start this new community. And it was this liminal space that, um, for, for like lack of time and sake, like it, it was in our souls, in our experience, it felt like we were, like it, it felt like a death in some ways. Like, an aspect of us was dying, and we have yet to experience what's coming. And we just kind of felt into this liminal Liminal space, And in that time, um, I got to read a, a book that was really profound just in my spiritual journey. Sometimes we find these books by, like, mentors or, that have gone before us, and we read them. We're like, oh, they just gave words to what I was experiencing, right? Uh, for me, like, at the beginning, uh, C.S. Lewis was that for me. Um, Eugene Peterson's that for me. And I read uh, this book by Ronald Rollheiser, who's a theologian, professor, and he wrote a book about just the spiritual maturing of a follower of Jesus and what that's like. And as I'm in this space in 2020 of just, like, feeling like a death, and I don't know how to name this, um, was reading his book called The Holy Longing, and he had a chapter in there where he was really talking about how Christ in this, in this Peter passage, for second, first Peter passage, how Christ is an example. Um, so I just kind of want to share even, like, some of his thoughts as they were impactful to me. Um, but just what does it mean for Christ to be an example in our life? And he used, as this theologian professor, he used this term. that was foreign to me at first. Uh, but he called this what's in, what theologians call the Paschal Mystery. The Paschal Mystery. Um, it's a weird term. I didn't hear that before. Um, and what that is, what, what that is, Ronald Rohreiser explains this. But within the church tradition, the Paschal Mystery is two things. Let's talk about the name first. Paschal just simply is the word for Passover. You guys know what the Passover is? Passover. Jews would celebrate the Passover every year in remembering what? What would they remember? The exodus from Egypt, right? They were slaves in a foreign land. God heard their cry, sends Moses. He redeems his people, crosses, and brings them out of slavery. And so every year the Jews would celebrate Passover. This was a deep identity in who they were as a people. This was the story they would tell. In fact, when they would celebrate Passover, um, they would do a meal, would call it the, like the Seder meal, is what it was later called. If you guys have ever heard that before. And it was really interesting. The youngest person in the family at the mealtime, as they would celebrate, actually had the role of asking the father of the house the question that started the whole meal, that started the Passover celebration. And the son or the youngest child would ask the father, What makes this night different than any other night? And then it was the father's job to now tell the Exodus story. So imagine you're Israel, you're here, and you would have, like, your father would be like, this is our story. That whatever we're in, God redeems his people. God is a covenant God. God is a faithful God. This is who Yahweh is. This is God. And they would tell the story again. And so even when they're in exile in Babylon or they're they're away from from Jerusalem, they're away from the land, they would tell the story of God redeeming. What do you think that does to a people when you tell the story over and over? So Paschal just means Passover. Jesus, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthians, he says, Jesus is our Paschal lamb, our Passover lamb. John the Baptist says this is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, in his last week before crucifixion, in Jerusalem, and he takes the bread and cup. What is the celebration he's celebrating? Passover. And he reinterprets this bread, this unleavened bread, this cup of wine, as what he is about to do on the cross for our sins. What is about to happen in the resurrection. He becomes the Passover lamb. Passover is the story of God redeeming. The second word in there is mystery, and I think sometimes we can get a little like, wiggly with that word. Like, what a, what's a mystery? Like, ooh, right? Like What does that mean? But in the Christian sense, in the context of mystery, mystery doesn't mean it's something that's just baffling or like an enigma or like an unsolvable problem, but instead, a mystery is something that's been revealed for our understanding, but which we will never exhaustively understand. Does that make sense? It's been revealed, but it's like we've stepped into the depths of God. And as finite created beings, we will never fully know because we're talking about God. The doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery that's been revealed. God is one, but distinct three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will never, like, grasp that fully, but we can still know it. Does that make sense? So what Ronald Roheiser calls here is he calls, as we talk about what does it mean that Christ's example, he wants to use this word, paschal mystery, because the, mystery, the paschal mystery is about the death that brings radical new life. In the gospel stories, we see Jesus, and like the disciples, we are baffled that the Messiah dies. But he's told us the whole time, but on the third day, he will rise again. From death will come this new life, this resurrected life. Um, because that 's such a strange word, um, sometimes I just like for our context to use the word like the gospel lens, the, a, a gospel lens how do we view our light, um, view our life in light of the gospel So with that clearly with that there that's what like, let 's talk about what are the gospel events in jesus 's life Again, this is his example for us um, and so five main ones of the gospel that I think really help shape and form our understanding of life um, Nope. Can we go back? Is there one that says Good Friday on the top? There we go, this one. This thing's fantastic. Um, First one is this, Good Friday. What happens on Good Friday? On Good Friday is the loss of life. Jesus' death on the cross, this is real death. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. As Jesus is saying this, I have to go to the cross. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, like, would you remove this from me? But, like, not my will, but yours be done. And he goes on with this. This is not, the death of a Messiah is not what the Jewish people had in mind for what a good Messiah should be doing. But Jesus was listening to the Father's voice. Jesus entrusts his life to the Father, and he uses this gruesome death on the cross for our sins, for our redemption. The Passover lamb who takes the sin the world next is one of the gospel events that we know well is easter sunday i love easter i love celebrating easter this is the reception of new life on the third day when he's raised from the grave he's conquered death we know the cross easter and resurrection if you've been following jesus for some times you know these gospel events really well but there's a few more what usually gets overlooked in the gospel events is the forty days. Jesus hung around for forty days in his resurrected body. I find that one of the most fascinating stories to meditate on is just that, right? Isn't it interesting? Like he kind of shows up here and there. Um, he just like walks in through the wall. Like what's that about, right? Like he just shows up. Uh, my favorite one is in Luke on the road to Emmaus when the two disciples are walking away from Jerusalem and Jesus just like kind of shows up, like. What are you guys talking about, right? Like, what's this story? It's so, it's so fascinating. It's amazing. And they're just like, "Don't are you the only one in Israel that hasn't heard? And they're talking to the resurrected Jesus about this. Like, I can't help this. I find, like, humor in that, a lot of humor. of Jesus like, oh, how about you tell me? And then Jesus tells them how this is actually what he, he, he gives them a big Bible study, basically. And then they don't even recognize him until he breaks bread, right? Do you remember that story in Luke? So for the 40 days, though, of, of Jesus' resurrection and before his ascension, this is this time for the disciples of readjustment. They knew Jesus this way. They had to be taught and learned of, like, what is this that we're experiencing? We've experienced the resurrected Jesus. And then Jesus actually teaches them that this is what it should have been about. This is what it was. They're adjusting to this resurrection reality. The fourth part of this Paschal Mystery or this gospel lens is the ascension. This is where Jesus blesses and commissions his followers, and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Sometimes we overlook. This is a really important part of the gospel, that Christ has ascended into heaven. You want to know why that's important? Like, where is Jesus right now? At the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. This is king language. Right now, over the cosmos, over us in this room, Jesus is ruling and reigning. So important, so important to the gospel. Sometimes we overlook it. We do like, hey, Good Friday, Easter, awesome, let's move on. It's like, hold on. Jesus is resurrected in his resurrected body, ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father right now. We have a king, we have a Lord. Lord Jesus. Jesus blesses his disciples. Go. He he commissions them. I'm with you. Go. And lastly, this gospel event of Pentecost. At Pentecost, this is where the Spirit of God rushes into the first believers as they're praying in the upper room. And they are filled with God's very presence and empowered as disciples of Jesus to preach the good news, to disciple others, to live resurrected life with the Spirit of God. Come on, right? These are the gospel events. The Paschal Mystery or a gospel lens is about the very first part, before all the rest, is first a death and then new life and then this process of adjusting to that new life. Um, Again, in his book, um, Holy Longing, I loved how Ronald Rojas did this because he he kind of said, like, that's we all know this language. We actually sometimes need to, like, um, let's, let's put in some colloquial terms so that we can like, understand this for our now and for our here and now. Because often what we do when it comes to these stories is we unfortunately talk about the suffering death and this transformation mystery of Christ, and we often don't apply it to our lives. Other than saying yes to the gospel and following Jesus, awesome, we don't do that. But what does it mean for us that Christ experienced a Good Friday? What does it mean for us that Christ ascended? Does that have any, like, as, if it's an example, as Peter says, how is the ascension an example to my life? Does that make sense? How is, how is Pentecost an example? If this is the story of Jesus, how does this story now shape my understanding and my, and my story I tell about my experiences? In other words, we can fall into the malaise of paying lip service to understanding the facts about what Jesus has done, praise God. But often we don't interpret it for our lives in our lived experience when we experienced a suffering or like a Good Friday. Or we experiencing this 40 days of like, I don't know what to make of this anymore. right? Or experiencing, God, would you fill me again with, like, with your spirit? Um, or, or make me aware of that again so ronald roheiser used these names this is his colloquial names i'm going to use just to help us frame that um boom boom the first one is this in good friday how we tell a story is we name our deaths we name our deaths we identify the seasons of our life that have ended endings are really difficult Sometimes life moves so fast, like we can't even recognize that something's ended. But once we realize that something's ended, it feels like a death. Have you experienced that before? Have you experienced like a loss of a dream or um, a loss of relationship, like a spouse or kids or loss of like this business idea that we had? Or this, this, this is where my identity was in some ways, and I did. I had my identity in my work, and now that's gone, and I'm sensing this death. With a gospel lens, when we experience this, it's as if we can, like, look at Jesus and go, like, oh, you experienced a physical death as well, a, a, a mourning as well. Jesus on the cross, he names that death. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and with that he breathes his last naming her death, I had a um, a friend of mine, uh, the, the last church that I served at, he was probably um, late 60s, and um, I just started working there, and I was the worship pastor, and all into like music gear, and all that kind of stuff, and at the time, and um, got to know him a little bit, and it was probably eight months in, um, just to being there as this new pastor, and and he he said, he probably sent me a text and said, hey, can we grab coffee, I'll meet you Friday, and I went, uh-oh, Right. But he he, he said, hey, can we meet up? And I said, okay. And he walked in with a guitar case, and he opened it up, and it was this Taylor 800 series guitar. So if you guys play guitar, you know what those guitars are. They're like, they're really nice, right? And they're really expensive, and I've always, like, wanted one. And he kind of sat me down, and with tears in his eyes, he just began to tell me the story of just, like, his experience with arthritis that's just happened in his hands. Late 60s, and he's just, like, tears going, like, I can't play guitar anymore. This is all. This is what I did to bring me joy. I can't play it, but I want to give it. Like, and so he he gave me, and he gave the church. It wasn't mine. We used it. We had like junior hires playing on a Taylor 800 series. It was amazing. So I was like, you spoiled little kids. But this moment with Tom in that in that room, like with tears in his eyes, in a sense, like he was naming this. He didn't shy away from it. He said, I can't do this anymore. This thing that brought me life and love, I can't do it anymore. In a sense, like Tom. Don't experience this death. Like, in, like, I give this away. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He named what was happening. In my view, he had a gospel lens of this. He didn't try to hold on to it. Does that make sense? He didn't grab it. He didn't, he just looked at his, he looked at his fingers and said, I can't do this anymore. And so I, I give this away. Second piece, if that's our Good Friday lens... Next is the claim your births. So I wish it wasn't different. claim. That just feels a little bit like claim it and name it. I don't really like that as much. But, but I do, I, it's, like, it's like naming the new thing that happens out of a death, where Tom had to give me that guitar. You know what I mean? And afterwards, he had to walk away without a guitar in his closet that he opened up and played every day. And what he had to do is like, who am I now? What are my hobbies now? Who am I? Does, does that make sense a little bit? Like he had a name, this is who I am now. We open our eyes in that to the new beginnings and situations that we're actually experiencing. What a gospel lens or the Passover death, a Paschal death, it's a death that while we are ending one kind of life, it's actually opening up and to understand and receive a deeper and richer life that comes from God. You see, in our losses and our sufferings, even though it feels like a death, we're still alive. I'm still breathing. I'm still here. What does this new life mean? Again, I already talked about that. I wrote to Emmaus story in Luke where the disciples are walking away, and they're experiencing Jesus breaking bread, and they run back to tell the disciples. They run all the way back to Jerusalem, and they're saying, like, we've we've experienced this new life. Next, just for a gospel lens, is this grieving what you have lost and adjusting to a new reality. For the most part, especially the evangelical Christian church, we are really bad at grieving. Really bad at grieving the loss of a new reality. Change is difficult. When we experience a loss, and even in a new resurrected life, it's an adjustment to that. An adjustment to a new reality. In the gospel accounts, do you guys remember Thomas? That boy got a bad rap name, right? What's his name? Doubting Thomas. Like, it's nowhere in there. We just like to call him that. Like, what a legacy, right? <laughs> like, but truthfully, if I'm, if I'm in that room, if I'm, t- if I'm there, I, I kind of identify with Thomas, right? What's he say? He says, I won't even believe until what? Until I, put my, until I touch it, until I touch the scars in his body. Jesus, by the way, has scars in his resurrected body. That's another aside just to meditate on a little bit. Amazing. We carry the scars. Wow. Um, I won't even believe it. Not until it happens. And that's when Jesus comes in, like a week later, and be like, "Go for it, right?" And Thomas is, "My Lord, my God." Like it's this response. But Thomas, sometimes we call it doubting. I, I wonder if it's more of like grieving. Thomas, can you imagine walking with Jesus for three years, seeing what you saw, experiencing what you did, and then he's dead, and you're telling me he's alive? Nah, like. Not until, I, not until I touch the scars, right? He, I would say, like, he's grieving. He's grieving. And I would say, like, I can commend Thomas for this. an idea of, like, grieving. Just I can't even believe it. Jesus says, don't, after he lets him touch his scars, don't doubt anymore, Thomas. Believe. Believe. One of the tools that we, ha- that we have in the scriptures that we often don't use is, is, the, is the psalms of lament in our lives, Jesus, through, Jesus would pray the psalms of lament. Lamenting is coming before God like bare bones on us with what's happening in our lives. Jesus laments when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the first line of a psalm of lament. This lament, what, God, where are you? What is, what is going on? Um, our church does this really weird thing where on uh, the longest night of the year in, in December, we actually do a night of lament where we, we invite people to come. And it's like we sing we sing really bummer songs for a whole night. <laughs> and uh, and we don't, like, try to clean it up, like, necessarily. And people get to, like, get to process, get to share some stuff. And it's actually been one of the – it's not, like, crazy attended, but it's been a beautiful part of just our community of people saying, like, hey, we actually create space where you get to come before God and say, why? And where were you? And are you so far away? Or my soul pants for like the, for you, God, like a deer that pants for water. Where are you? In a dry and thirsty land. Like we allow people to do that. And there's a story of um, a girl named Amber um, who, who, who was there that night. And it was just in a season of loss. Her husband just lost her job. They had no idea what to do. They've been praying fervently for this answered prayer request. And with this loss of a job, it's as if God just said no. And she was here that night and lamenting. And I've never seen, like, it felt holy. Does that make sense to? You? Have you ever seen that before? Where it's just like, this feels holy, where you're so honest. And she did, I think just in, intrinsically, what the Psalms do. is The Psalms of lament are not just like, whatever, God, I can't believe you did that. Psalms of lament are fully honest, but turn towards trust at the end. Like, it turns towards, um, but yet you're still God. And yet I still trust you, even though I don't see any of it. Almost like Thomas. I'm still in the upper room with the disciples. But unless I see and he encounters God. We grieve what we have lost. We adjust to the new reality. It's that 40 days of transitioning from a death to this life that we have now. To this like readjustment to that. Two more. Last thing is this. Do not cling to the old, but let it ascend and give you its blessing. This is often the most difficult part as we just kind of think through our lives. Oh, no, I just misnumbered it. There's a secret one you get to know nothing about, and that's what it is. I can count. Um, uh, So put four, cross out five. You guys got it. We're smart men. Do not cling to the old. Let it ascend and give you its blessing. This is the sense of, like, what is the ascension? How do I I think about the ascension as an example in the disciples' lives? Um, It's really interesting in all three of the Gospels, uh, the the synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're similar Gospels. In all three of those, the ascension of Jesus is, is typically the same. of all He ascends uh, with, the, with the angels, and the angels say, like, hey, he's coming back in the same way. They're all staring up there. It's a, great, it's a great story. Jesus ascends. But in John's gospel, John always does his own unique little thing. He doesn't have that exact story, but he does something more theologically. Um, when Mary, in John's gospel, encounters Jesus in the garden, she mistakes him for a what? Does anybody know? A gardener. All right? that's beautiful. Like, it harks back to Eden imagery. Mistakes him for a gardener a gardener, and clings to you, grabs Jesus like, like you would. Like, oh, it's Jesus. And what does Jesus tell her? He says, Mary, don't cling to me. I have yet to ascend to my Father, to my God, to your God. It's, this, it's John's picture of the ascension, but it's just really interesting. What does it mean to Mary not to cling to Jesus? Cling to Jesus. Jesus even tells his disciples, it's better that I go, Right? so that I can send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, which he does. And in this, what I see and learn is like we, there's an aspect of in our lives when we go through that, that death and resurrection that will hit in our lives, that there's a, there's a temptation to cling to the old. But the invitation is to let it ascend. And even Jesus in his ascension, he blesses and commissions his disciples. Um, this is just the story that I've been Processing with the Lord right now. We've had uh, a close friends of ours for years, and that friendship has just started to fracture, um, and it's been painful in that. It's been painful in the sense of like that's that friendship just no longer exists. And anytime my like, my phone brings up like past images from a year ago, you see all those like things you used to do with friends, and you're just like that grief hits again. There's a part of me that just with the Lord and the processing, and we've we've tried. Um, it's just one of, those st- one of those things, even as we've ha- sought help with it, it's just like this is those seasons of life where, where friends shift and change. And we've had to grieve that. My family's had to grieve it. It's been a really difficult thing. In fact, even talking about this morning and thinking about it, I was like, I don't want to. So, like, you're replaying it in your head over and over, and I wish it could be this, and I wish it can be that. But what the Spirit kept inviting me into is like, Brandon, like what is the blessing from that, from that season of Friendship. Like, I can look at it and be like, this was the blessing. It was a really, it was deep. It was meaningful. They were there in times that we were hurting. We were there in times that they were hurting. I'm better because of that season. It's this not clinging to the past, but letting it ascend. And lastly, from Ronald Reuheiser, it says this. That should be number five, right? But it says this. We accept the spirit of life that you are, in fact, living. After Jesus ascends, he says, I, ha- I need to go to send you the helper. They're living in this resurrected life. Jesus is resurrected. The w- death is defeated. The world is made new. But Jesus tells them to wait another 10 days. They're praying. And then Jesus sends them the Holy Spirit and fills them. The resurrection life is not just a restoring of the old, but it's a reception of the new. Just this last story for this. My friend Jake um, was, was sitting with me a few weeks ago. He's been married for eight years. They have two kids, under two and a half, or under three, I think it is, and one, and they're, just, they're pregnant again, right? It's happening. So, and we were just sitting down. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about our discipleship. And he was, in a sense, grieving, like, the loss of that honeymoon stage that he had with his spouse. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's like, he's like it's just so different now. And and I'm and I'm married sixteen years, a little ahead. I'm just like, yep. So yeah, he's, but he's, he was just like, it's so different. It's not the same. Like intimacy is different. Our like our our communications different. We have we're like on kid mode all the time. And I'm like, yeah, you've got two under three. It's just this is your world. But what he was coming to just with Jesus is just like this is my reality. Like there is a sense that that aspect that was beautiful part of our lives is no longer. And I'm needing to, with the help of God and his grace, to accept what this is. There's no sin. There's nothing wrong. This is just the way of, like, experiencing a life. But if he keeps trying to go after that honeymoon stage, right, we know it'll happen. Like, it'll, it'll, it'll sour it. It'll, it's, that's not what it is anymore. But it's richer and it's deeper. And what, Jesus, what he needed to ask Jesus at the time, we kind of, he is like, Jesus, I need your spirit and your grace for this reality. And how I can love and serve my spouse and my kids in this reality. And he allowed the gospel story again. Like, Jesus, I need your spirit to fill me again for this. To say that. Last verse. I want to show a video just as we end. Because we've got to be done at 10. Oh, no. Go back one, buddy. I'll show you that in a second. Boom. John 12. You don't need to turn there. I'll just keep it up here. Jesus says that we have to take up our cross. But what does he say next? Take up your cross follow him? Do we take up our cross one time? Yeah, what's the word? How do you you take up a cross daily? I think you take up a cross daily by, by like having like a gospel lens. What is right now in my life that feels like a death, that feels like letting go, that feels like like allowing God to heal and move on and accepting the life that God has for me. What does what needs to today that I need to trust God with? John 12, 24 says this very truly I tell you, this is Jesus talking. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus the entire time he's trying to teach his disciples about his death his disciples refuse to believe that this is the way but there is something if you live long enough and i'm sure with like some of you or gentlemen in here you could tell me of like there there is this moment where in the deaths of our lives we can like jesus trust god in it we can trust that it's god who brings new life out of messed up things that it's god who brings resurrection out of defeats and disappointments that it's God who is with us and meets us in that in-between liminal space, those 40 days where we don't really understand what's happening. And yet the resurrected Jesus shows up to the disciples time and time again. He will for us. It is Jesus who ascends and blesses. And it is Jesus, it is, it is God who sends the Spirit to empower us into the life that we're living. Um... Just to wrap up, and then we'll just do a little prayer. Uh, I saw this this video clip uh, this past week um, that I felt like I, saw, I just saw a picture of somebody who um, seems to be thought has thought about this. Um, it's 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 Stephen Colbert, if you guys know who he is. I think he's the late night show host and um, uh, Anderson Cooper, um, who's doing an interview, and it's just kind of this like impromptu interview, and whatever you think of CNN and blah blah blah, and, and Anderson Cooper and. Let that go for just two seconds. And, and, and what I found from this clip, it was 20 minutes, but Stephen Colbert, um, who, who professes faith, at least, and um, I saw in this clip at least somebody who's like, oh, you've really thought and wrestled with this a little bit. So, um, but in this clip, he shares the story about how he lost as a young boy um, in a large family. He was the youngest, and he lost his father and two older brothers in a plane crash and how to take care of his mom. And... He's talking with Anderson Cooper just about suffering, and about like the things that life brings, and Anderson Cooper had just recently lost his father, and so they're having this dialogue. They're just they're just talking about like the loss of parents and what do we do now and what does that mean for us and It's really it's a really beautiful interview. I, I found it really fascinating, um, but I just want to show you this one clip and this one line um, because of of what Anderson Cooper asked Stephen about. Like, the way of suffering or the way of death as Christ has. And, like, is that something we can actually hold on to? Is that, is that true? So I just want to show you this, and then we'll go into a time of... So, I, I saw that clip, and I, just, I saw a picture of um, somebody just accepting, like... I can't change this, but what I can do is trust with it. What I can do is trust with it. And so um, as we, like we watched at the very beginning of today, we watched a random couple triangles and a circle and a box. And we all told a story about it. And in the same way, like we will in our, in our lives, in our, in, our, in our steps of following Jesus, we will experience things or God will bring things in our life or allow things to happen in our life that will feel like like lines and boxes. Let me say, like, what's happening here? I don't understand at all. This feels like a death. This feels like suffering. I don't understand what's happening here. I think the invitation from the Gospels and from Jesus and from Peter, when he says that Christ's suffering are an example for us, is to like we talked about, just like is to actually look at the story of Jesus and say, God, what are you doing in this current moment, and what, how are you asking me to follow in your steps, and what example of yours can I see, can I find, can I apply to my life, that I can actually in the moments where it feels like Good Friday name that death, that actually in like I can trust your resurrection life, um, that I can like let go and not cling to the old that, God, you will fill me again in this new season with your Spirit. Would you do it again, God? So can we do a little prayer practice um, just, to, just to ask God just to meet us, to ask the Spirit just to meet us in whatever journey? I, with As many people as here this week, um, there is no way um, that we also don't come with all of the stories that we've been thinking about all week or living in all week. And I would just love just to give a little bit of space um, for the Spirit to, to speak, uh, for Jesus to just speak to our hearts again. Uh, to come before him with um, our journey and our story and to allow Jesus to again tell tell the gospel story to us um, with the hope that our trust deepens in God. We can trust God. If Jesus can trust God with his death, the invitation for us is as well to trust God with our deaths and that he will bring new life. Um, so I just want to invite you to pray, whatever posture that is for you. Um, if you, if you pray with open hands, pray with open hands. If you just need to, like, close your eyes, bow your heads, do that. Whatever your posture of prayer is. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on me, a sinner. So, God, as we just think about your death, as we think about Good Friday, um, God just in our hearts and minds, would you um, would you allow us just just to to think and to name what actually feels like a death in our life? Um, that feels like a, a disappointment, that feels like um, a letdown, that feels like something's broken and won't revive. God, would you just allow us, um, Holy Spirit, to name that? Yeah, would you, by your grace, like with your mercy, would you um, allow us to experience um, the new life that you've given us, like resurrection life, that even though the, that death is real, that here we are in a room, still breathing, still alive, still um, loved by you, still seen by you, still known by you. You know the hairs on our head. You know the time of our days. And so God, we just, we, in that sense, we thank you for being here and alive and present today. God, I pray that you would just allow us in that that weird, like, liminal space. Would you, um, allow our hearts to grieve. Just even invite you right now, um, in a, if you would, just in your heart, if that needs to happen, to lament, even if it's a sentence or a thought, just to, before God and in his presence, to lament. God, where were you? Why? Why? even that lament, but to turn to trust. And yet I will trust you. God, you are still sovereign. And you're still good. And you're still worthy. And you are a God that holds and isn't afraid of our questions and holds tension really well. Just even in prayer before God, would you... Um, allow like even a release of the old like Mary like he tells Mary to not cling as I said yet would you even begin to release like a Good Friday death or the loss not cling and even here Jesus um, in his like ascension like commissioning again as a follower of Jesus to make disciples to become a disciple what trust Jesus gives us, like what, he says, go. In John's account of Jesus' high priestly prayer, um, Jesus' long speech in the upper room, like that you were my friends. I call you my friends. Would you even hear like the father's voice over Jesus, like this is my son. You are redeemed and a son of God. A adopted, redeemed son of God. And would you just in prayer, like, receive, ask God to fill you again. Ask Jesus like the woman at the well did. Ask him again for like the living water. Jesus says, you like, you taste this water, you won't thirst anymore. Within you, a spring of life will well up and overflow. And just ask God again for for filling. Holy Spirit, would you fill us again? Would you like a reminder, a, a, a filling of your presence? Like as we go into our life, as we go into this week, would you... Fill us again with your presence. Make us aware of you again. Would you empower us to be like carriers of your good news, of your gospel? Holy Spirit, would you bring healing where there needs to be healing, wholeness where there's brokenness? We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you to lead. We cannot do life without you. So would you come? Jesus, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we are not um, alone. We thank you that you are well acquainted with our grief, Jesus. We thank you for the example that you left. We thank you for your sufferings and your resurrection and the new life you give. Jesus, we give you our lives this morning. We thank you for life. We love you. We pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for being here uh, this morning. Um, you, uh, not many of you slept, so good job. That was fantastic. Uh, We're going to start in like 25 minutes with the next session. You're free to hang out and stay warm or go do whatever. But um, be blessed today.